0: We're going to be looking this morning in John chapter 3, Uh, this is a message I call Identity. Let's all stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word, John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. May God bless the reading of his word today. As my prayer, you may be seated. This morning, our passage calls us to consider our identity. Our identity is a simple matter, but it's also a very complex matter of who and and what we are. Most of that is determined for us uh, at conception and birth what we call our biological birth, or what Jesus refers to in this passage as that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Uh, what we are uh, was determined at conception, it is revealed at birth. Uh, we are human. <laughs> yes, we are. We're human, very human. Uh, we're male or female. Uh, we have certain. Uh, Uh, racially identifiable characteristics that associates with all of the uh, various uh, races, whether it might be Caucasian or Latino or Asian or uh, uh, Aboriginal, or African, or Pacific Islander, and there's a whole bunch more, and uh, I can't name them all, don't have to. Uh, But those are determined for us, those characteristics are determined for us at conception. Of course, that follows through then. We actually see that happen when we're born. Uh, We can say these are things we are born with. Uh, What we are then is determined by our biological fleshly birth. What Jesus refers to in this passage is that which is born of the flesh, is flesh. Also, in association with our birth, uh, we get uh, some sense of who we are. Who we are. Uh, we are given a surname uh, at birth. That is our father's name. We inherit that from our father. That's a surname. Uh, we also have a given name. At least one here in the South, we prefer two name names: uh, Mary Sue. Uh, Mary Ellen, uh, uh, Billy Bob. I mean, uh, we, we like two name names, uh, uh, given names. Uh, I have uh, two names, Richard Lewis. If my mother ever said Richard Lewis, I was in T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Trouble. Um, <clears throat> Our given name then serves to identify us as who we are and what we are. As we go along in life, we might uh, be identified in other ways. We take on that marvelous designation of mom or dad, and and then that's followed by grandma and grandpa. Uh, we are associated with what we do and a lot of other things. Identity, identity, but a whole lot of our identity is bound up in what Jesus describes here as that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now Nicodemus's case. Uh, He was born uh, as one of the seed of Abraham. He was a part of the Jewish nation. And uh, that was a matter of no small significance because they placed a a, a tremendous meaning uh, in their mind uh, that had developed around being born uh, of the seed of Abraham. I mean, Nicodemus would have... Uh, like Jesus he would have been circumcised on the eighth day that was a tribute to the fact that he was born as a male child he was a descendant of Abraham and therefore under those covenant blessings and provisions like Jesus he would have been taken to the temple uh, when he was uh, forty days old because his mother would have to offer uh, her ritual uh, purification offering and and that would have happened to Nicodemus just like it happened to Jesus at twelve years old Nicodemus would have gone to the temple to uh, Just like Jesus did. Uh, Nicodemus was raised up then in the strictest, most conservative segment of Jewish society and ideology. He was a Pharisee. That means that a bulk of his educational experience was spent learning and learning how to apply and live by the principles of the law of Moses as spelled out in the Torah. And that included, of course, the traditions of the fathers, which were all the various things that had developed around the law of Moses. That was Nicodemus. See, somewhere along the line the Jewish people had begun to believe that because they were a descendant of Abraham, because they followed Moses, because they'd been circumcised on the eighth day, they had the sign of the Abrahamic covenant because they kept the law. That meant then that they were right with God and going to heaven when they died. Because of the circumstances... Of their fleshly birth. Now, John the Baptist, when he came on the scene, he began to confront that thinking. In fact, he preached against it in a way that could not be misunderstood. In Matthew chapter 3, uh, he called these people out. In verse 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, that snakes, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Uh, John the Baptist obviously never got a Dale Carnegie course. <laughs> oh brood of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say to yourselves, don't you be saying, don't you even be thinking, that just because you're the seed of Abraham, you were born then as a part of Abraham's descendants. That, that makes you all right. Don't you go there. Uh-uh. Because he said, God is able to make of these stones descendants of Abraham. Uh, that is, that's not what you need. What you need is fruit for repentance. In Mark chapter 1, when Jesus then came on the scene after John was put in prison and began to preach what they called the gospel of the kingdom of God, verse 15, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, Repent. And believe the gospel. Repent and believe. Repent. That's exactly what John the Baptist was preaching. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is still preaching it. When you come on the keep reading in the New Testament, you'll find that the apostles continued throughout the New Testament era to confront that thinking. They had to deal with it over and over and over again because it was deeply ingrained into the minds of the Jewish people that as a result of the fact that they were born of the seed of Abraham, they had the sign of the covenant of Abraham, they lived then under the principles of the law. They were right with God, they were righteous, and they were going to heaven. But here in John chapter 3, you see Jesus put a name on this. It wasn't just some principle that the Bible then leaves uh, for us to just, no, 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 think about, no, he fleshed it out in John chapter 3, he gave it a name, and and the name is Nicodemus Nicodemus. Nicodemus was born and raised to believe in God and to keep the law as a result of his raising, as a result of his training. Nicodemus was a very dedicated, very religious, very godly, very committed, very knowledgeable, lost man. He was lost. How do we know it? Jesus told him, you must be born again. You must be born again. People today still make the mistake that Nicodemus made so long ago. They still kind of buy into the idea that because their parents were Christian, uh, then that makes them a Christian. Uh, I love, used to love to listen to the great evangelist Walter K. Ayers. Many of you probably never heard of him. You just thought he was an old fullback for the Arkansas Razorback. But he made a preacher, and a real good one. And he's in heaven today. Walter K., he used to tell a story about one time when he moved. And uh, uh, they had the boxes stacked up in the garage. He said they inherited a cat. They thought it was a fat cat. Turned out it wasn't. It was an expecting cat. He said, that cat gave birth to five kittens in a bread box in his garage. But he said, they wasn't biscuits. He said, you can be born in a garage, and it doesn't make you an automobile. And you can be born to Christian parents. It doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't. It didn't in Nicodemus' day. It doesn't in our day either. Jesus would say, though, to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's a classic outline on this passage today. I, I don't claim to have originated. it. I'd give somebody credit for it if I knew who did it, but I've heard so many preachers use it over the years. Uh, I just want to and it because there's really, I've never been able to think of a better way to break down this passage in exactly what Jesus talks about because he tells us about the deficiency of the fleshly birth Why the fleshly birth is not adequate to make us right with God. And then the sufficiency of the spiritual birth. The deficiency of the fleshly birth and the sufficiency of the spiritual birth. That's what we're going to look at for the next few moments this morning. Of course, the first is the deficiency of the fleshly birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Well, let me say this immediately, that when I talk about the deficiency of the fleshly birth this morning, I'm not speaking of some physical malady that we are born with. There are thousands of things that happen to people, different things. Some of them are associated with various syndromes. Uh, some of them have names. Many of them do not. Uh, I had a grandchild was born with a hole in her heart. Uh, thankfully, it didn't stay around very long. It closed up just in a day or two. If it doesn't close up, then they have to do surgery. Some of y'all are familiar with that. very common thing that happens. When I talk about then uh, the deficiency of the fleshly birth, I'm not talking about any of those thousands of things that you can be born with or that happen to people or that happen to children uh, when they're born. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something else we're born with. You see, Nicodemus was born to a natural. A set of parents, an earthly father, an earthly mother, a biological mom, a biological dad. And as a result of that, you see, he was born into the natural world. Psalmist David told us something about that birth in Psalm 51 and 5 when he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. David was not telling us. Uh, that something had happened, that his mom had done something bad, or she had been unfaithful, or or done something terribly sinful. That wasn't what he was saying. What David was telling us it was, and what he told us was the truth, that when we are conceived, we are conceived of our natural biological parents, and part of what we get at that point of conception is sin. It is in us when we're conceived, before we're born, He said, I was shapen in iniquity. I was fashioned. I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Paul would go on and say this about that in Ephesians 2 and 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Were by nature the children of wrath. You see, what we are born with, when I talk about the deficiency of the fleshly birth and the fact that we are born uh, to natural parents, we're born into the natural world, we're born into the sinful world, what I'm talking about this morning, us being born with, is that nature to sin. The sin nature. We've all got it. We all had it. We're all born with it. It came from our natural birth. It's passed down. It's a part of it just like all the rest of our DNA. It is passed down to us. We're born with it, the nature to sin. Paul calls it, we're by nature the children of wrath. Now we've got a, an expression. It says what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. If you've got polluted water in your well, you drop the bucket down there, guess what you're going to bring up? Polluted water. How does that relate to the sin nature? Well, listen, the sin nature is the well. It is a polluted well. It's what we are. It's what's inside of us. We have a nature to sin. But what comes up then in the bucket is our sins. That is the fact that we make choices. We make bad decisions. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from that sin nature. What is down in the well, that pollution that is there, comes up. And it comes up in the water heard a preacher one time tell a story about a a, a missionary couple. On their first missionary assignment, they were sent to a South Pacific island, one of those that has a volcano on it. And uh, when they moved in, nobody had lived in that missionary house for a long time. And as they moved in, walked in, and there they saw it, and everything in that house was covered in that black volcanic dirt. I mean, it was just a thick layer of black volcanic dirt on everything in that house. And of course they couldn't live in that, couldn't even move in that. So her and uh, some of the island ladies began to work to clean up all of that stuff. And after they would cleaned for a while, she decided she would start in on the floor because the floor was just covered with that black volcanic dirt. They laughed at her when she brought in a bucket with water on it. With the intention of starting to scrub on the floor. Because they quickly told her, it's a dirt floor. <laughs> the more you scrub a dirt floor, the more dirt you get. I want you to know our heart that doesn't know Jesus Christ is a dirt floor heart. What I mean by that this morning, there's no clean down there underneath it. Uh, You can hire anybody you want to to come in and deep clean. The deeper you clean it, the more dirt it's going to have. Our heart is a dirt floor. There's no clean down at the bottom to get to. Down somewhere in our mind, we might be thinking, you know, if I could just, I've got all this sin in my life, I've got all these bad things that I've done, if I could just clean them all out, then somewhere down deep inside of me, there's something there that's clean. God help us, there's not. Our heart's a dirt floor. The more you scrub it, the more dirt you're going to find. I was shaping in iniquity. David said in sin my mother conceived me we are by nature the children of wrath But it didn't stop there because Romans chapter 3 goes on and tells us that we've all affirmed that choice for ourselves all have sinned uh, that is if we uh, sin uh, means a, a transgression of the law uh, that means that God said not to do it and we did it anyway But we are. God said to do it and we don't do it. That's the second part. We've come short of the glory of God. And by far and away, by far and away, it is the second part of Romans 3.23, comes short of the glory of God that we most frequently fail at. We may have some good days in our life where we don't do the things that God told us not to. God said, don't lie, we didn't lie. God said, don't steal, didn't steal. God said, don't commit adultery, I didn't even think about it. Uh, Don't commit murder, I didn't even think about that. We have some really great days where we don't do the things God tells us not to do. But there's never a day in our life that we don't fall short of doing the things God tells us to do. We come short, we come short, of the glory of God. So we've affirmed that for ourselves. It's not just our nature, we've all affirmed it. Remember, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. But the deficiency of the human birth is not just that it's bound to the natural world and it's, it is therefore bound to that sinful world by its nature and by its choices, but also the deficiency of the fleshly birth is that it's blind the spiritual things. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. You have a blind person. Maybe they had eye cancer. Maybe they were born without eyeballs. Maybe they had an accident. They lost their vision. They don't have walking vision. They don't have any vision. They're blind. It would be foolish of me to turn on a light For that blind man, here, let me turn the light on. He can't see. But it would be just as foolish for the blind man to deny that light exists because he can't see it. The fact is that lost people don't just need light, they need sight. And only God only God, only through the power of the mighty Spirit of God can those who are spiritually blind be made to see. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. And if you're saved this morning, that would be a great place for you to say amen. Yes, God shined in my heart to give unto me the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I was blind. You were blind, but now now we see. Why? Because God can make the blind see. Yes, He can. Yes, He can. But only through the new birth. So the deficiency then of the fleshly birth is that it's born in that natural world, and that is a sinful world. It is born then with that sin nature, and it is in bondage to it. And it's blind then to spiritual things. That's the deficiency of the fleshly birth. It's in bondage to sin. And it's blind to the things of the Spirit. But Thank God Jesus didn't stop there. <laughs> because then he goes on and gives us The sufficiency then of the spiritual birth. Nicodemus, after Jesus would say to him, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, Lord, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now Jesus speaks of the new birth as being born of water and of the Spirit. Now... More than likely when we begin to look at this you know what we might be inclined just to think well he's talking about the fleshly birth and certainly we're born out of water through our fleshly birth. But you know over and over again the Bible uh, speaks of the Word of God and compares it to water that which is born of the water and the Bible then would tell us exactly that. Uh, Paul uses that imagery in Ephesians 5.25 when he speaks of husbands and how we are to love our wives and to sanctify them and cleanse them, love them like Jesus loved the church. And how do we do that? We do it, he says, by the washing of the water by the Word. Washing of the water by the Word. The Word of God does that. And then there's Simon Peter's message in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. He says, we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I believe when Jesus speaks to us then of being born of the water, He is speaking of being born of the word, the water of the word. That it is combined then with the work of the Spirit of God and it produces then uh, that power that we need so that we might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, I think, of, alludes to this for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to do what? To save them that believe. Because when you take the Word of God, and you combine that then with the Spirit of God, and it is proclaimed then in the power of God, it takes up lodging in the hearts of men. You may be one of those this morning in this very service, and God is using this message and these passages to remind you that you need to be born again. What you're feeling is not the power of human persuasion, it's not the power of personality. What you're feeling is the power of the Spirit of God telling you as it blesses the Word. That's how it works. It pleased God by the foolishness of the message preached, the message proclaimed, so that people believe it then, men and women, boys and girls, and are saved, born again. When that happens, again, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Simon Peter says uh, that he's a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things, not just a few things, but all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Notice this now. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great in promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Oh, listen, when God saves us, it is a wonderful promise that he gives to us. I'm glad he doesn't just save us a little bit. I'm glad he doesn't just make us like a tadpole and get us kind of started. And then, you know, we've got to somehow grow out legs in front. And all. Oh, listen, we don't get just a little bit saved. He makes us all the way saved. That's a good thing. Amen. And he gives us then all things, he said, pertaining unto life and godliness. So that through our faith in Jesus Christ, he says, amazingly, we might be made partakers of the divine nature see the greatest effect of salvation we might say is going to be that glorious time when we're changed completely and that moment in a twinkling of an eye we'll be changed and that time the Bible speaks of as being the rapture when the trump of God will sound the dead in Christ will be raised first we which are alive and remain will be caught up then together we shall be changed we're going to receive a glorified body a new body Time the Bible calls the redemption of the body. Oh, we'll get a new body. And we'll be with Jesus forever. What a day that's going to be. As wonderful as that time is, though, I want you to look at this passage this morning. By these, you might be partakers of the divine nature. You see, when you get saved, God lives in you. God, where before all we had was that nature to sin. All we had was that polluted well. And there ain't no amount of chlorine that you can pour in it that's going to take that away because there's a constant infusion of pollution coming into that well that's our life. There we were, just polluted. Drop your bucket down as deep as you want to go, all the way down to the bottom in a polluted well, guess what? You're still going to bring up polluted water. What's in the well comes up in the bucket The well is our sinful nature. The bucket is the sins we commit. Here we are with our dirt floor hearts. Scrubbing them. Thinking maybe we can get down to the clean. There ain't no clean. There's no clean down there. We just get more and more dirt. But oh... I've got good news for you today. And that is that Jesus Christ, by His shed blood, is able to cleanse us from all our sin. That's in 1 John. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all our sin. So that now we have not just that old fleshly nature to sin, now we have that divine nature in us. It has overruled that fleshly nature where once we were in Adam and the Bible says in Adam all die. Now we're in Christ and Christ is in us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that in Christ all should be made alive. Now you're the child of the one true king. Well, man in his natural condition is like a polluted well bringing up pollution, like a dirt floor, and the more you scrub it, the more dirt you find. Some people's dirt floor might be cleaner than others. I learned that during my own trip uh, to South Pacific Island. Some of those ladies were very proud of how clean their dirt floor was, but there's something kind of ironic about saying that's a clean dirt floor. But that's what it was. Have you been cleaning on your dirt floor? Still dirty. But the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse it and wash all sins away. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We have a nature, nature to sin. But God offers us a new nature so that we can be partakers of the divine nature. Once I was identified by what I was, by who I was, all of which was associated with my fleshly birth. I may have added to that some of the things that I did so that I was identified by not only what I was and who I was, but also by what I've done. But one day as a seven-year-old boy, I heard the wonderful news that Jesus Christ loved me, sinner that I was, and died on the cross for my sins. And I did exactly, exactly what Jesus told me to do. And that is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I believed on Him. I trusted Him. And I was born again. But James Epinette, what's your birthday? Not your year, just today. February, 10th. February the 10th. Toby, Toby. What, what, when's your birthday? November 24th. November 24th. Hope Larson, when's your birthday? March, March 21st. Thank you for not telling us a year. I'm... <laughs> We've all got a birthday. We can spell it out just like that. Odd thing wasn't, we don't remember <laughs> being born, but we obviously were. And we know we have a birthday it's on our birth certificate. If we ever lose sight of it, it's written down for us. As long as your mom's alive, you can ask her about it. She can tell you. Dad can tell you, too. I tell you what, dad had a hard time the day he was born. <laughs> Sorry about that, lady. Sitting out there in the waiting room, man, it was so hard. Oh, so tough. We all had a birthday. That which is born in the flesh is flesh. It happened at a time, a moment, on a day that you remember for the rest of your life, though you weren't there. Your spiritual birth, folks, is just as real. It happened at a point in time on a day. It's not important If you can remember the day, that's great, but I'm not going to tell you if you can't remember the day, then it may not have even happened. I'm not going to cast doubt on your salvation experience because you can't remember the date. I can't remember the date of mine. I remember how old I was. remember what time of the year it was. I could probably go back in some records and look it up. It's not important that I remember the moment. What is important is that I remember that it happened it's a real event it happened to me because I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and I was born again I was born of the word the water and of the spirit I was born of the word of God that liveth and abideth forever have you been born again If you have, then the next question is for you. Have you you submitted then to baptism? Have you followed Him in baptism? If if, if not, you need to. Why? Because Jesus said to. It's part of what He tells us to do. Maybe you need a church home. You're looking for one. We'd love to have you here. Uh, Maybe you uh, need to make that decision. But this morning... I want to close out where we started out. You must be born again. Let's stand together, please.